Well, hey everyone, Athena Dean Holtz here, and welcome to the All Things Podcast, where we gather once a week to learn and share stories about how God works all things together, writing a story of good, because He is faithful and good. Think about it, 2020 has turned many of our lives upside down, so who couldn't use a major dose of hope? I'd like to ask you to share this podcast with friends or on your social media outlets and perhaps review it on Apple so others will find this podcast easily. Every Wednesday, I'll be chatting with a friend who I know and respect, one of our Redemption Press authors, who will not only share a personal Romans 8.28 story, but also help to give you tips and tools for your life journey. Two episodes a month, we'll have an additional interview with a well-known author, and sprinkled in along the way will be additional Romans 828 stories from our She Writes for Him bootcamp graduates and others the Lord brings my way. So let's get started. Well, welcome to today's episode of the All Things Podcast. I'm back again this week to introduce you to two Redemption Press authors. During the first half of the podcast, you'll meet Lee Gardner, author of the delightful children's book, Pirate Flu, What to Do. Then during the second half of the podcast, you'll meet Annalisa Turno, co-author of Becoming Revolutionary. They both have an incredible Romans 8:28 story to share today. So first things first, let me give our first guest a proper introduction. Lee Gardner spent 25 years as an early childhood teacher. Inspired by this experience, she created a preschool program at her church, as well as an art smart ministry. Lee has worked as both writer and editor for the Naval Postgraduate School Officers Wives Magazine in Monterey, California. And Lee currently serves as teaching leader of a Bible study fellowship class in Savannah, Georgia, where she loves strolling the sands of Tybee Beach with her favorite pirates, Ava, Mary, Luke, and Jimmy. And I always love it when I can share some little known facts about our guests. Lee is married to her college sweetheart, who she met when he walked under her dorm window in his cadet uniform. Lee started that conversation from her second floor dorm window. He happened to ask Lee what she wanted to do with her life, and she said, I want a Christian home and I want to be a godly grandmother. God has done this for her in spades. They have been married 43 years and made eight state-to-state moves. All right, let's roll that conversation. So, Lee Gardner, welcome to the All Things Podcast. It is a privilege to have you on the show today and get a chance to just have our listeners get to know you a little better. So, welcome to the All Things Podcast. Thank you, Athena. It's just an honor to be here today with you. So, thank you very much for having me. You bet. So, before we jump into talking about your incredible incredibly timely children's book. I want to just so our listeners can get to know you a little better and hear a little bit about how God works kind of behind the scenes in your life to work all things together for good. 
I just love to have us hear a story, one of your favorite Roman Romans 828 stories from your life. I'd love to share it. You know, I, I just have to think back to a summer in 2003 when I was standing at the end of my driveway and all I saw was this huge moving truck. And my heart wasn't in the move that we were about to do as a family from Jackson, Mississippi to Savannah, Georgia. It wasn't that moves were all that bad. I kind of enjoyed moves because as a Navy wife, I had moved many times. So I knew what a move meant, but I was kind of in an inner rebellion because I was asking the Lord, why move us now? He had clearly placed me in a wonderful place in ministry with young children. I had actually worked on and developed an early childhood ministry in my church. It had taken off. It was a joy to me, and I had thrown myself into it. And it was a Christian program that the church just allowed to come together and allowed me to start. And so my hands were gripping the steering wheel of that little school. And and I was just asking the Lord, how in the world could he be taking me away from this this program that he designed, you know, so well and, and had used me in? And so I was standing there at the end of the driveway and, and wouldn't you know, the Lord would send a good friend to meet me there. And she shows up and I say to her, you know what? I am never going to do this again. I am never going to do it again. And she had the wisdom to look at me and say, Lee, if the Lord calls you to move again, you will move again. (laughs) Yeah, like don't tell God what you won't do, right? (laughs) So there it was. And my heart was just melting. And I thought, oh, that is so true. If God asked me to do anything like you said, Athena, I mean, I mean, I will be doing that thing and whatever he me to do in or out of, I will do that. So speed up the tape. And now we are arriving in Savannah and there's the big moving truck moving everything in. And I'm feeling more than just a little bit lost. And so I was amazed to see God begin to use new ministry in my life right away. I heard on the radio they needed help in the children's program for the local mobs, mothers of preschoolers. And and so I volunteered for that, was used right away, which was a joy to me to be in that. I had had a prayer in my heart while I taught that preschool program in Jackson, And I have been praying, Lord, is there any way I could just get around Christian, mature Christian women who really knew you well? Could I just learn from mature Christian women for a while? And that had been my prayer. And it had been my prayer so long. I finally rationalized it and said, Lord, I know that this isn't a good prayer for me to ask you because no one's going to invite me into their kitchen and say, Lee, I'm going to mature you in Christ. I mean, nobody's going to open up their door and just say, come on in. I'm going to give you everything you need here in God's word and, and show you how to grow. 
And so when I got here right away, I was invited to this in-depth Bible study where I had always heard of this Bible study and I wanted to go, but never had the time. Started the Bible study, walked in there, saw women come in with Bibles at that point in time. All Bibles were at print and no one was carrying a Bible on their so, I mean, it was either carry a Bible or not. They all carried a Bible. And there's about 200 of them in this sanctuary ready to study God's word and broke us up in groups. And the women around me in this small group attached to the big group out there, the small group were just eager to accept me and to start asking me questions about myself and how long I'd been there and really eagerly answering in-depth questions on the passage we were studying, and that just blew me away. Mm. So I was just thrilled. Not long after that, they invited me into leadership for this class. And long story short, within five years, I was the woman teaching from the front the passage, which to me going from teaching preschoolers now to teaching women of all ages was amazing that God would allow me to do that. So, you know, I have seen him work in my life. He has blessed me through my church here. I've been allowed to start an art smart ministry or been asked to start a new ministry for children in my church. It's just been a huge blessing. And this new book was a desire of my heart. And I think God was waiting for surrender. And that is what I learned that God, I just needed to recognize that God is good and recognize his goodness and his sovereignty in my life. And that's pretty much my Romans story. Oh, that's so good. Because I mean, what I hear you saying is you thought you had arrived. I mean, he gave you this great ministry. You were doing all this stuff that was fulfilling for you. And now he's asking you to give it up and walk away and, and not have an attitude. And, you know, you got, you processed through that, but wow, to see that he would then turn around and give you a whole new ministry that was way, you know, just, I mean, who could have guessed that he was going to do that? Sometimes we just can't even imagine how he's going to bring anything good out of this because we don't like the way it's looking Mm -hmm. and wow, that he would enable you to not only have that desire of your heart met with mature Christian women being around you and inviting you in and feeding you and discipling you, mentoring you to then have you grow and grow into ministry. I mean, it reminds me of, you know, birth of a vision, death of a vision, and then resurrection of it. And that's, yeah, yeah that's what Absolutely. you got to be part of that whole birth, death, and resurrection of your ministry and what he's called you to do. I love mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to just jump right in because I know I want to talk about your new book and find out a little bit about what inspired you to write about young children's fear of visiting the doctor. So let's just start, let's start with that question. What, what inspired you to write about that? Well, as we're, you know, as we can talk about, it was really 
a God notion that, you know, it was, it was his inspiration just to get a story going and, and, and just uh, as an outreach to children, meeting them where they are, you know, in, in real life issues, which is fear. I mean, we all come from areas of fear and God really uses that area just to say, hey, you know, he's greater than this fear or greater than whatever we're going through. But in working with young children, I saw that they knew fear and and they experienced fear and had real life situations going on around them that involved with the medical world in, in, in ways that I didn't even realize. I had a young, sweet young girl who had cystic fibrosis. I watched her just bravely chart her way through that even in her life and how she, she just seemed to have the sweetness of really of of trusting Jesus and um, just having that serenity about her. And I just watched her and I was just, I was just blown away by her, but, but children, you know, do go through medical issues and fear. In fact, as you look into the issue of fear, you can read uh, statistics such as there is a university of Michigan's medical hospital in Michigan, the University of Michigan, that's done a study and a poll on preschoolers and how they react to the issue of going to the doctor. And they found that half of all preschoolers are afraid of going to the doctor. I mean, they have real fear and hesitation and really do not want to go to the doctor. And so, you know, they they have the issues that we all have, but they're working with stranger anxiety. They don't know these, these people in white coats around them, you know. They have no idea of what's going on with that. They also have memories of being sick and they've been there before. And the shot issue, that's not exciting for them. No matter what, no matter what kind of shot, it's not exciting for them. So this poll was done in 2018 before the pandemic. Can you imagine what it is now? Wow. And, in fact, um, in fact, when we were talking a little bit before we started rolling the tape, I asked you, so did you like write this during the pandemic? I mean, this seems so timely. And how long ago did you start this writing this manuscript? Started uh, about six years ago. Wow. Five years last year, you know, it's, it's taken years to actually come to this point with being published. So the story started many years ago. And I wanted just to, you know, to, to reach out to children and basically make them see that they're not alone in being fearful of the doctor and that others feel that way too. And uh, so that's what Pirate Flu has allowed for me to come to that point. Now, I knew I was getting closer when the pandemic happened, and I had been working on this for years. I, I knew that I needed to go ahead and make a big effort to send this out to publishers and and really seek out ways to get it published that this needed to happen. It was really a huge God nudge 
in my heart, you know, like, like take that step, be bold, go and go for this. And so before I knew about redemption, I sent it to a big publishing house in New York, which you're going to find very funny. And, and now that I look at it, I find it very funny because I was being incredibly bold. <laughs> and I sent it to them and the pandemic and the shutdown had just begun. And so I get, I get a reply fairly quickly, which can happen within seven days. And I knew that a lot of these replies were the same, like, we appreciate you submitting, but we just don't find you the right fit for our publishing house. So I got that reply. But at the bottom of this reply, I had a personal note from a person in the, in the publishing house. And he goes, we really appreciate the fact that you're writing a story like this right now and you're writing it for young children. I had never gotten a personal note at the bottom of what is pretty much their standard no form. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, I knew that things were moving and I knew that I needed to go ahead and keep it up and keep it going. So I uh, just happened to be on Facebook and just happened to see a friend who is just a wonderful Christian illustrator. And she was so excited because she was going to work for redemption. And I knew if my friend was going to take that step and was excited, I needed to find out about redemption. So there story. I love that. I just love God's timing. So did any of your own childhood fears contribute to the actual story that became the pirate flu? Absolutely. It did. Because I was one of the pirates in the book that screeched, no shots for me, matey. I'm off for the beaches. You know, he was, he was certainly, I was certainly that pirate. And the words that came out of these pirates when the doctor suggested that they get their booster shots and they're going, what? You know, you can kind of, the illustrations are fantastic. You can see their eyes pretty much popping out of their heads, you know, and their hands in front of their faces like, no, you know, that was me. I knew how that felt. I wasn't eager to get a shot and I wasn't eager to go to the doctor. So yes, I was all over the pirate characters that you're seeing in the book. I was from life real life. How did you come up with the idea of a pirate crew as stand-ins for children? The pirates in Pirate Flu and What to Do, really um, what they're doing, they're, they're showing you how it feels as a child. They have childlike qualities. That's what I was going for. I wanted the children to be able to relate to these pirates and their emotions and that they, what they would go through in the doctor's office. So that was the goal. I happen to have an an amazing illustrator who is also a believer in Christ, grew up on the mission field and gifted in art and illustration. And together we started working on these characters. And um, what we were doing was trying to create characters that the children, of course, could relate to. We didn't want, we, we started out with pirates that were a little lifelike and quickly we realized that that had to change and we needed pirates actually that looked very childlike, not threatening. You would never open this book and go, oh, those pirates look scary. They're very, 
they, they look pretty silly, actually, the pirates do. And that's what we were going for. That's what we wanted. And that's what we worked on together, getting the look of these pirates. It took us a while to mm. do that too, but, but God was good through it. So, and another sideline too, we were looking so much into making the children feel comfortable. We wanted the pirates not to look like real people. We wanted them to have that cartoon look to them, but we did want the doctor and the nurse in the story to look a little more lifelike, to look like a little more like a real doctor and a real nurse. Because we wanted the children to think, hey, my doctor looks like that, you know, and see the doctor. Oh, she's really kind. She has good words. She's reassuring. You know, maybe the doctor's not that bad, you know. So we did try to get them more lifelike. And we actually used a real doctor here in Savannah, a pediatrician, who just so happens to go to my church. <laughs> And she sent us pictures of herself at work. So we use those pictures to actually draw in this doctor. So this is a real doctor in Pirate Flu who is working in Savannah. Mm. That's a little interesting, I think. Yeah. So discuss the role of humor in your story. All right. So if you know me, you know that. I love humor. I I love anything that's silly. That's because if you've been in early childhood, even for a day, you know that you cannot hold the attention of three and four-year-olds, especially at something like a story time or a circle time, learning time, without introducing something that's totally silly. And that is where I I drew the, the need for humor to teach something that's important. So I, I, I try to make everything as silly as possible. When I taught preschool, when I did that, I went to the library weekly and pulled every silly book I could find off the shelf that got anywhere close to what I was, was trying to teach the next week. You know, I would pull any, I would pull off silly books that had nothing to do with what I was teaching. I knew that through laughter and, and that's the way to connect to children, to be able to talk about it. What do you think about these pirates? Why do you think they're, they're holding their swords up like that when the doctor walks in the room, you know, being able to talk to them about what's going on in the story and make them smile, make them laugh, connect with them. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to make it pretty ridiculous at times. And I think that's what we did. I think that's yeah. God allowed. Well, and I love that it's, it was all very intentional. You had a very, from all your experience teaching and interacting with children, you, you knew what you wanted. You knew what was going to get the most response and the best connection with them. And wow, you did it. I love that. So where and how do you envision the book being used? I would love to see it used in many different ways. I would love to see it in the classroom, of course, we've talked about. So if a teacher is teaching a unit on doctors or community helpers, they would be able to go to and find pirate flu and use it in in their curriculum with what they wanted to teach. I'm hoping that this will span, you know, some some everything from the three-year-old program, maybe up through kindergarten or first grade. I want it, I want it to be a teacher resource there. And also at home, 
it's so important that parents have resources like Pirate Flu to open the conversation because if you have a child who's going through a difficult time with going to the doctor, the, the, the best thing you can do is just open up a book and read it together and be able to talk together about the, the upcoming visit, you know, what they can expect and, you know, and the reactions that can happen. And uh, it opens the conversation for parents and their children, which is so important. And lastly, I think mostly, I would love to see this be able to connect churches also to church programs with areas in children's ministry, which I'm going to do this summer in just a few weeks. I'm going to do a pirate camp with preschoolers for my church. And what I want to do is just, just theme a week around uh, the goodness of God and being strong and courageous and being bold, using Joshua 1.9 and really teaching about God's goodness and how we can rely on the Lord to get us through these times when we're, when we're really feeling fear and facing our fears and how important that is. Yes. You know, so that's what I'm, I'm going to want to be doing in the next few weeks, you know, but I would love to see others, other church programs be able to use books like Pirate Flu and, and just pirates are so fun, but really center it on being strong and courageous in, in the Lord. And an interesting thing, um, a few weeks ago, uh, I had a, a launch party for Pirate Flu, which was great. And it was done through my church, which has been an amazing support for me. Wow. This time, I mean, I've gotten my illustrator from my church. I've gotten the doctor who was illustrated. Of course, I told you about Dr. Jessica Donaldson came from my church. The, the lady who took the picture for the back of Pirate Flu, my picture from my church, looked everywhere in Pirate Flu other than, than the wonderful staff at Redemption. And they all come from my church. So it's pretty amazing. They were throwing me a party to just to, to launch Pirate Flow. And one lady was there who's not from the church. And she came up to me and she said, you know, I read this book. And she said, I'm just wondering, why don't you mention God? Or are you talking about Jesus in this book? And that was a great question. You know, well, you know, you're a Christian author. You're coming from a church like this. So, so where's the mention of the Lord? Where's the mention of God? And I said, well, I looked at her and I said, what is our greatest treasure? What is our greatest treasure? It's knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. I didn't have to say that much. I just said, what is our treasure? And she got it right away. She knew that it was our Lord. And so this book opens up the thought, the thought of treasure and using it for Christ for our young children. And that's what I want to do too with Pirate Flow. It's always been my intention. You know, it's it's because of God's grace. Mm. There is Pirate Flow and what to do. So I'm just thrilled to be here and, and see the publishing of Pirate Flow. It's been so exciting. Yeah. Well, I mean, I see that your strategy has been very intentional and you intentionally want to be able to have that story start conversations about the Lord without saying it in there, because if you say it in there, then secular schools won't let you come in there 
and do an event or do an, uh, an author reading or, and mm-hmm. so to be able to have it be kind of like an ambush <laughs> where yes. they, don't, they don't realize what's coming with it, but you know, I, I love that, that there's That's a great descriptive. I love it too. Ambush. Absolutely. Because we want to open this up for every child and every family. And then those who want to know more about pirate flu, you know, how, how really God's hand was all over it. Absolutely. From so, so will we, will we see your pint-sized pirates in any other stories? I am really asking the Lord to lead me in that. And I, I'm so excited to begin that I'm praying to, to begin that work, uh, even this summer. And I did talk to my children's editor just a week or so ago. And she said, Lee, you should not be working on one new book. You should be working on two. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Well, you know, you're a planner, you're intentional. So as we wrap this up, do you have any sort of just encouragement for those who are listening just on maybe how you've learned to look for God working all things together for good, look for looking for his sovereignty, his goodness? Has there been any tip or tool that's really helped you stay grounded in that? Absolutely. I just really would encourage everyone to look beyond the situation that they're in. And when God's asking you to trust him in, in, in something that's unexpected, something that you really didn't anticipate happening in your life and know that nothing is happening outside of what Christians will use that word sovereignty, but it's a powerful word. It's his control, his, his signature is over our lives and what is happening. And the great news is that we can trust him because as often as this world seems like that's all there is, you know, right now, this world, what I can see, what I can touch, there's so much more that God has for us. And we can, we are going to find that he is faithful and he will do what he says and that he will meet us no matter what this world or even um, as we meet him in heaven, I, I'm just, uh, I really encourage those to trust him in the minute, trust him where they are and know that he is faithful. He is good and he will see them through no matter what it is. Amen. Amen. So if we have some listeners today who are wanting to maybe connect with you on social media or online, where is the, where do you hang out most? Where's the best place for them to connect with you? Honestly, I have a a page on Facebook and I'm on Facebook quite a bit. I also jumped to Instagram this year, but on Facebook, you can find me Lee Gardener. So it's relatively easy to find me on on Facebook. So, but I I can connect with others and put that information out for you too. I actually have a website now too for www.pirateflu.com. Oh, nice. And you can also connect with me that way. So um, taking new steps. All right. Well, it's been just a delight to have you on today and to hear just 
the backstory and just how God has worked through this entire process. And we're excited to have you as one of our Redemption Press authors and excited to see what God does with this book and with future books, with your pint-sized pirates. So thank you so much for being with us today, Lee. It's been an honor. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right, we are back for the second segment of today's All Things Podcast. Let me introduce you to Annalisa Turnow. Annalisa is the founder of Ellis Ministries, a nonprofit organization with the mission to love the broken, equip believers, and ignite passion. Through the ministry, she has spoken to and taught hundreds of women at conferences and retreats to help them find their identity in Christ. She also serves as a high school transition specialist and works alongside her family on their organic farm. All right, let's roll that conversation. All right. Well, Annalisa, I have just been so excited to have you on the podcast and hear more of your heart and your story. So welcome to the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. You bet. So Annalisa, we love to give our listeners a sneak peek into the life of our guests. I would love to have you share your favorite Romans 8.28 story of how God worked all things together for good in your life. So let's just start there before we jump into your book. I think my favorite Romans 8.28 story would be, I found myself as a, as a young woman about 600 miles away from home living in Raleigh, North Carolina. And it was the loneliest time of my life. I was working seven days a week to try to pay off these student loans. And I thought I for sure had my dream job. And, and I found myself in complete isolation from my friends, from my family, from anyone that I've ever known. And through that, I just remember sitting in a closet alone and just very vividly just being able to hear the voice of God. Like, I, I love you. And and I'm for you. And in that moment, it was just the concept of, I need to use my life to glorify the Lord, no matter what that looks like. And I made a decision at about 22 years old, that no matter where I was going in this life, as long as Jesus Christ was the center, that I was going to step into it and say yes. But it was out of the, it has been consistent in my life that out of the hardest places within who I am. It's when the Lord is the most loving and that he shows himself to be just the father of love, the creator of, of love. Amen. Amen. So good. Okay. So we're going to jump into some questions about your new book. And Eve is most often, of course, remembered for disobeying God and for her role in bringing sin into the world. Yet your book names her as a revolutionary. What qualifies her as a revolutionary woman? What qualifies Eve as a revolutionary woman? First of all, we need to define what revolutionary is. And to be revolutionary is to be not appreciated within your time. And my book proposes that Eve is just this, that Eve is a woman who, who lives steps outside of, of herself and, and she's known 
for her sin and for her shame. But what makes her revolutionary isn't the pain that she she's walked through. What makes her revolutionary is the fact that God loved her and met her where she was. And she was able to carry on her genealogy through her sin and through her shame and through that pain. And I am paralleling that with how I step through my shame and my pain and how all people step through. And you're going to have a decision to make. You can either pass on the hurt or you can say, you know, Jesus Christ through that hurt is, is making me a new creation. And that is what I'm going to pass on. And it's not understanding why things are happening within your lifetime. It's the fact that I'm going to love Jesus and Jesus loves me through that pain Mm -hmm. within my life. And that's what makes Eve truly revolutionary. So becoming revolutionary discusses Eve's battle with sin, shame, and guilt. How do you think your take on Eve's story can encourage women of today who have those same struggles and feelings over past mistakes. It's the understanding that we're living in this consistent cycle. We are in a constant cycle of doubt leading to to shame and and the consequence and then looking at our dysfunctional patterns and and we can see that we are in this absolute cycle. And through that the only thing that we can do to understand who we are is to look at Jesus Christ and the fact that he died for you and I. And that is the understanding, not that we are perfect beings and we need to strive to perfection because I think oftentimes that's what we're all striving for is to be perfect. And we're constantly fighting through that battle. What I propose with Eve is that Jesus met us, that through that sin, we're going to sin, we're going to fall short, but that's where the Lord meets us. It doesn't stop the cycle of dysfunction. It causes me to understand why my dysfunctional patterns happen. And it gives me a point of reference as to where I can go to deal with my sin, shame, and dysfunction in a healthy manner. Mm. So Annalisa, in this year of celebrating the 100th year of women's right to vote and women's suffrage, how does Eve's story relate to women of today? Mm. Eve's story, I believe, directly correlates with the women of today because Eve's story is progressivism. And that's what the 100th anniversary of women's rights is. It's not that that we have arrived. It's the fact that we are progressing through our lives because our life is just one big progress and and process. And that is exactly what Eve has, has taught us. It's not about the perfection. It's not about arriving. It's about allowing Jesus to love us And in turn, loving ourselves through our mistakes and being able to see ourselves in grace and mercy and love, just as Christ sees us. Mm. Okay. So when Eve gave in to temptation, it had lifelong consequences for the world. Does categorizing her as revolutionary make light of her sin and disobedience? What categorizes her as revolutionary is because the blood of Jesus. And that is going to be available for every single human being. And so we can look at her story and we can get so critical of like, Eve, oh my goodness, for the rest of my life or for the rest of our lives, we are going to be living in 
in the consequence of what you did. But the problem is when we flip over to the New Testament, that we have the same God that came down to this earth to die for our sins, to make us whole and to make us complete. And that is why she is revolutionary because she was living something that's, she's never going to be appreciated. That's just the way it is forever. She is going to be blamed. But what makes her revolutionary is the fact that she could persevere through and her story directly points to the lineage that is Jesus Christ, which directly links us into her story. Hmm. Good, good, good. Yeah. Eve has not really in the in the evangelical church been someone that people look up to. It's kind of like, you know, she messed everything up for us. And so this is a great new perspective on Eve. I love that. So how did you come up with the concept of becoming revolutionary? And how did you decide to author it together? Hmm. Do you have a co-author, right? Yes, I do have a co-author. My my co-author is actually who I partner with for the nonprofit of Ellis Ministries. But what Jillian and I essentially started to do is is we got hyper focused on what does it mean to live a life that will leave a legacy. It was really about legacy. And so we began to study the Bible and behind the Bible, you see these great men, but you know what behind them is an even better woman. And we're like, wow, these people are behind the scenes. And we got really, really into history and studying like the American revolution. And we start talking about George Washington and Alexander Hamilton. We start talking about some of these great men and the, the signers of the Declaration of Independence behind them are very, very strong women who never get spoken about and never get recognized. And their contributions to what makes the person, the people next to them great is what got us thinking and got us to kind of question what is greatness and what is the real revolution? Because we can talk about revolution being fought on a battlefield. The fact is revolution is within your heart. The battle is within who you are each and every day. And what makes you great isn't being on the top of Mount Rushmore and you're being the person that's praised. It's those unsung heroes that are behind the scenes that their names will never be mentioned. And that is truly how to live a legacy and truly how to be revolutionary. Mm. That is so good. So Eve was not appreciated in her time and is still largely misunderstood today, according to your book. Are there any other women you would put in that same category? Yes, I, I would put I would put Rebecca, I would put Rachel, I would put Hannah, I would put Elizabeth, I would put Mary and Mary Magdalene. Um, I would and uh, the Shunammite woman, huh? One of my favorite. These, I would say all women. I mean, if we want to tie this back into the a hundredth anniversary of, of women's rights. I think all, all women, all people would say that they are underappreciated within their time. And, and, and the, the, the writing in the book wants to create a complex for you. It's, it's a question. Am I living a life that is going to leave a legacy? And each person has to answer that for themselves. The book isn't a book of answers. It's a book of questions and to lead us to a complex of, is this what I can do in my life? Is this who I'm going to become? Is this what Jesus is calling me to? And I am I living a life with all of my chips in and a life that when I look back, I am going, I'm going to say, 
yes, I gave it all I could give. Good, good. So you state that Eve's life took a different path than she envisioned, which is something most of us can relate to. (laughs) What were you able to take from Eve's story as you researched and wrote the book and looked at your own life journey? I never realized the connection that my life would make with Eve. Her her sin patterns, when we're looking at, did God really say, I, I have a promise for God? And then, and then it begins to get twisted in my mind as a question. Did God really say that? Because I have that period of waiting. And, and that's really hard for me to wait because God's timing is not my timing. And this is what we see out of Eve. And then we see that there's false fantasy comes into play, that my thoughts begin to trick me. Well, did God really say that? And it leads me into these subtle doubts within my mind, which leads into being to having some sin patterns in my life, whether it's becoming my own God or, or doing things my own way, being outside of that will and ever just one degree, ever so slightly. But then that also leads to me becoming broken, which leads to me needing that savior and needing Jesus because I fall short each and every time. And then that's where that hope and that restoration comes back through, but it doesn't stop there because it's going to cycle back around because I'm going to have that, that doubt once again, which will lead to that false fantasy. And it begins to circle around. And I understand my dysfunction when I look at Eve. That's when I begin to understand who I am. It doesn't make my dysfunction stop. Oh no. I just begin to understand, oh, I'm in that part of the cycle. And in different areas of your life, the tricky part is you're going to be in different parts of that cycle in different facets of your life at all time. And that's why life is going to be one big process for us. And that's why we need a savior to, to forgive us and to love us because it's very, very hard to love self. And that's what Jesus died for. So we don't have to carry that on our own like, like Eve did. Wow. So as we wrap up, Annalisa, what do you want readers to take away for their own lives from your perspective of Eve in becoming revolutionary? I want you to take away, cut yourself some slack. Mm-hmm. We are all in the same struggle that you are. Through the pain and the perseverance, we will passionately prevail through. And you are not alone. We are all in the grind with you. And everyone's grind looks different. But the book is intended to be read multiple times. That is my favorite part about this piece of literature, is that I intend to read it over and over and over again and glean something different each and every time based on my my area of life. I hope to read this book at 90 years old and be continuing to read it. It's not a one-time read. It's a process that we are going to walk through together. And this text should be able to lead you through that. And you should be able to glean something different each and every time. That's that's my favorite part about this writing. Mm. So good. So as we close, do you have a tip or a tool that would help our listeners kind of keep focused on the fact that God is really always working behind the scenes, working all things together for good? In the back of the book, you find some identity statements. 
The thing about Eve is that she was attacked at her core, at her identity. Did God truly say not to do this? And that is how Satan comes at you and I. It's subtle. Did God say? He comes with a question. Are you really not supposed to do this? But these I am statements in the back refocus and reshift your identity, not from what you think or what anybody else thinks, but what God says about you, what is biblical truth. And those I am statements, just speak them over your life time and time again. And I promise you, your mindset will be centered back on that your identity is in a man who died for you. Amen. Amen. Well, Annalisa, thank you so much for being with us today. If we have listeners who want to connect with you online or on social media, what's the best way to do that? Uh, you can go on Facebook at Annalisa Turno or Ellis Ministries. You can go on Instagram. You can go on Twitter as well. And those are our three platforms that you can reach out. All right. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been delightful. Thank you so much for having me. Well, thanks for joining us today for the All Things Podcast brought to you by Redemption Press and the Romans 828 Bookstore. So, hey, I'd like to ask you a favor. If you would, consider sharing this episode with your friends on social media. And if you haven't yet left a review of the podcast on Apple, I would love it if you would take a minute to do that as it would help other people find the show and also let them know that it's a show worth listening to. So thanks so much for joining us today and I will see you next week. Bye for now.